For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of the pasture and to drink of clear water that you must ready, muddy the rest of the water with your feet and must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Almighty God, on this Christ the King Sunday, Lord, I pray once again that we could see why it is good news that you are our King and no one else. And why it is good news that every knee will bow before you and every tongue confess that you are Lord. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Well, my name's Chris Myers. I'm the Associate Rector here at St. Bartholomew's. We're so glad that you could join us uh, for worship tonight, whether in person here or online later through the miracles of long cables and iPhones and sound systems and all these wonderful things that we've learned how to use in the last few months. Um, as I already mentioned, tonight is Christ the King Sunday. It's, it's a feast day. We're wearing white. Um, and it is the end of the liturgical year. It's the last Sunday in the church calendar. And as Jay mentioned, next Sunday we'll begin Advent, which is the uh, church's new year. And I want to talk about that word end in two senses. The word end being sort of the close of something and end being the goal of something. The end towards which uh, things are directed. Because declaring that Christ is king is not just the end of the liturgical year. I would say that that is the end of all Christian worship or the goal of all Christian worship um, is to declare that, that Christ is king. In the early church, in the book of Acts, they picked up on this theme almost immediately in the earliest sermons that Peter preaches. He talks about Jesus being king, the ascended one, 
sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he looks back to the Psalms of Israel, and the apostles were very fond of quoting Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. This idea that Jesus is uh, the true king is meant to be the heart of the good news, and it is also the end to which all Christian worship is aimed. And I wanna get at this theme in a couple different ways. Um, We're talking about Christ the King, but we're also in the middle of this series out of this book, Being Christian by Rowan Williams, and we're talking actually this week about Eucharist or or communion. So I wanna draw together the theme of Jesus's kingship and communion, this, uh, the Eucharist, and talk about the, the table and what it means in the context of our liturgical worship to say that Christ is king and then to come to the king's table. And I wanna do this by actually looking at um, Revelation chapter 19, verses six through nine. This is not in your bulletin, so I'm gonna read it to you. And this is after um, Jesus has conquered the whore of Babylon in the book of Revelation. And you know, the book of Revelation is one of these scary things that maybe we avoid or maybe um, has been cast upon us in many other times, so we just kind of like put it out of mind. But really the revelation of the book of Revelation is the revelation or the unveiling or the declaration of the truth that Jesus is king. It's the first thing that that John sees as he sees the Lord on the Lord's day, Lord being another way of saying king. And in Revelation 19, we see one of these uh, high culmination points of enthronement and the theme of kingship. So listen to these verses Revelation 19, six through nine. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And there's a lot in these verses and I wanna draw out a couple of themes from it to talk about Christ's kingship in relationship to the Eucharist or the marriage feast of the lamb. We hear it in those those first words, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Why do we praise the Lord? Because he reigns. Reigning is kingship language. He rules and reigns. The almighty Lord, our God, he reigns. We will rejoice and exult and give him glory. Glory is another kingly word. It's like majesty. We're recognizing that the Lord is king and we are crying out to him, lifting him up. This is the song of heaven. And then we get this other image. The marriage of the lamb has come. The wedding feast It's not just that Jesus is king, it's also that he is the bridegroom and that the church is his bride gathered to him and the bride has made herself ready and blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. So I wanna talk about communion, Eucharist, in terms of coronation and in terms of the wedding feast. So those will be the two themes, coronation, enthronement, and then in terms of the wedding feast. So what I would say about the Eucharist is that every time we do it, we are recognizing that Jesus has been lifted up or ascended as the king of all kings. Um, And we can see this early on in our liturgy. And I want you to pay attention tonight as we go through the actual communion liturgy to these themes. 
kind of just listen for these ideas. But one of the things that we say every week is we join our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. And then we say, holy, holy, holy Lord. We go through that. Heavenly worship is already engaged in this kingly worship, worshiping God for being the one who rules and reigns over all things. Jesus ruling and reigning over all things. And what we say in our, in our worship is that we are joining something that's already going on. So heavenly worship is already going on and we are lifting up our hearts to join that heavenly space where over and over and over again, what is being declared is that this holy one is the one who rules and reigns in glory and majesty over all things. And we say, we, we welcome and we say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which is how in the Old Testament they would have welcomed the king of Israel, the true son of David, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the world. Why? Because he's coming to rule and reign over all things. He's coming to bring his justice into the world. He's coming to set things right. Blessed is that one. We lift him up. We praise him. And every time we talk about Jesus being ascended, we're talking about him ascending to the throne, his rightful place as king over all things. So one of the themes that I want you to listen for as we go through our own worship, our own Eucharistic worship and liturgy is this idea of Jesus being king. And we, are, we aren't coronating him, he's already been coronated, but we're joining in with this ongoing declaration that he is the world's true king, that he is the one who rules and reigns, that he is the one who is drawing all things back to himself as the uh, beautiful collect said this night as well. So that's the first theme, is that Jesus as king, we declare that he has been coronated, we declare that he is ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father. So when we come to this feast, it's like a kingly feast. And the king is um, thinking about when a king or queen is coronated, the feast that goes along with that and the celebration that goes along with that because there's someone in, in charge and there's this hope that they're going to bring justice and they're going to set things right and things are going to go better because someone's in charge now. Well, that coronation feast is part of what we do in the Eucharist. But the other thing that we're doing is that this is the wedding feast of the Lamb, the marriage between Christ the bridegroom and his bride, the church. And that theme was in the verses from Revelation as well. They give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. That's the consummation of all things is that when the fullness of God's people come in and the bridegroom comes for his bride and the marriage of heaven and earth, the marriage of the bridegroom and his bride, that will be the consummation of all things. And this is what I talked about a couple weeks ago related to hope is that hope is God's promised future and that God pulls us as his people towards his promised future. And one of the ways that he does this is through his sacraments, through baptism and through the Lord's table, is that he fills us with the hope of what is to come by giving us a taste of it now. So when we talk about what sacraments are, this is the way the the prayer book or the catechism describes it, is that it's an invisible sign, a visible sign of an invisible reality, or that it's a means of grace, or that it's something that seals what it promises that God is entrusting himself to us. He's giving us 
these signs and seals through material means, through bread and water and wine. He's saying, I am with you and I'm pulling you forward to my promised future, the full consummation of all things in Christ, the bridegroom who will draw his bride to himself, the church. So it's not the full wedding feast, but it's a taste of that wedding feast. It's a promise that God will do what he has said he will do, that he will gather thing, everything up into his beloved son, that everything will be put under his feet and that his bride will stand before him, his church, and there will be a new heavens and a new earth. As Revelation goes on to say, the Lord will then declare, behold, I make all things new. And that is breaking in even now. And one of the ways that it breaks in even now is through the sacramental life of the church, through baptism, through Eucharist. So we have the theme of Eucharist as coronation or declaring that Jesus is the true king. And we have the theme of Eucharist as wedding feast. And I wanna actually go back to a parable that we um, was our parable or our gospel reading a couple weeks ago, which is the parable of the wedding feast from Matthew chapter 22. And this is such a rich uh, passage. And in the story, the king sends out his servants to declare that his son's wedding feast is about to happen and to invite all these people to come. And people give all these reasons for why they can't come. So the king sends more people out to gather from the highways and byways and say, hey, everybody's invited to come to this great feast. I want you to join in this celebration. Come to the wedding feast, come. And the excuses that are giving, given are like, well, I've got to go take care of my business or I've got this other thing that's going on. And so all these very thin reasons to not go to this amazing party. But there's this moment where someone's come into the wedding feast and they're not clothed in the wedding garments. And I want you to hear that echo from the passage I read from Revelation, where it says that the saints are clothed in white linen. They've been clothed by the bridegroom to be his bride, to attend the wedding feast. So the man is not wearing the, white, the right wedding garments. And I want to talk about this theme of nakedness. Are you all ready for that? I'm talking about nakedness. Because this goes all the way back to the garden and, the, and Adam and Eve when they sinned and the recognition, the realization that he is naked. And when God comes searching for him, Adam, where are you? And he says, I was afraid and I was ashamed because I was naked. This idea that we need to be clothed by God is so central and it's, it actually draws together the theme of baptism with the theme of Eucharist. And it's one of the reasons that one of the things that we emphasize when we open up the table is that this table is open to all those who are baptized and following Jesus. Another way would be to say it is those who have been clothed in baptism by Jesus to come to his table. This is what Paul talks about in Galatians is that everybody who's been baptized into Christ has been clothed by Christ. In the early church, you would actually go into the baptismal waters naked. And then when you came out the other side, you would be clothed, you would be in dude with, uh, with new clothing, invested with new clothing. This theme of, hey, 
to come to this feast, we have to be clothed by the one who's inviting us to the feast, draws together baptism and Eucharist, these two great themes that we've been talking about. So this is a feast for those who have been clothed by Christ in baptism. One of the things that Jesus says in the, in the Sermon on the Mount is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And I wanna think about that theme of hunger because to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to hunger and thirst for something that we can't give ourselves. We can't have that righteousness on our own apart from God. We can't be clothed apart from God clothing us in this, in this way that we're talking about here. And we can't actually feed ourselves in the way that we need to be fed. We can't actually give ourselves the thing that we most hunger and thirst for, which is righteousness. The one who can put things right, put things back together that they way, the way that they go should be together. So there's this, actually this interesting dichotomy is that Eucharist is this coronation feast. It's this kingly feast where everyone's invited and there's pageantry and everybody's wearing these wonderful clothes and it's a wedding feast and all this imagery. But we come to this feast as beggars. We come to the, this feast in a way naked and hungry. And that gap I think is so interesting <laughs> because it points to God's great mercy for us and his determination to clothe us and to feed us. So the Eucharist is a beggar's feast. I want you to think about the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, every day, what do we ask for? We ask for daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. In real life, who asks for daily bread? Beggars. People who cannot feed themselves. People who have, don't have access to food in the way that, that most of us do, all of us do. They can't provide for themselves the very thing that they need. And what does Jesus tell us to pray every day? <laughs> I can't feed myself. Give me the bread that I need to survive, to live. So we come to the table as beggars. We come to those knowing that we, have, that we have wedding garments because he's given us wedding garments. That we have food to eat because he's given us food to eat. And that's why I think this, the parable of the wedding feast is so interesting because the people who say, I'm not gonna come to that feast are people who have something else to do. I'm just gonna go, I'm gonna go take care of my business. I'm gonna go do the things that, that I can do for myself because I don't wanna depend on anybody else to do for me the things that I, I think that I can do for myself. And those people don't even come into the feast. So part of the Christian life that I think is so hard for us, this dimension of humility and repentance is for us to say over and over again, I'm naked and I can't clothe myself. I'm hungry and I can't feed myself. And we come to the table, the Eucharistic table, and we put our hands like this. This is the posture of a beggar. Give me something to eat. I'm not taking it. You have to give it to me, Lord. You have to give me your very self, your body, your blood your body broken for me, your blood shed for me. That's what I need. That's what I need to clothe me. That's what I need to feed me. And I can't give it for myself. This, think of yourself as a beggar when you're doing this. The Eucharist is a feast for beggars. And this is something in one of the most beautiful, I think, and humbling prayers of the prayer book draws out. 
And it's the prayer of humble access. And we usually say it during the season of Lent because it's a very Lenten posture. And I want you to listen to this prayer and think about all the themes that I've talked about. Jesus is king. Jesus is the bridegroom. We need him to clothe us. We need him to feed us. Here's the prayer. We do not presume to come to this, thy table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in thy manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table, but thou art the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. Grant us therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of thy dear son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. That's a beggar's prayer. That's the posture that we come into the presence of our great king. And yet he's the one who promises to feed us, to clothe us, to care for us. I would encourage you this week to take that passage from Ezekiel and meditate on it. Read it. Who are the sheep that the Lord provides for? And how does he provide for them? And look at how many times it says the word I, 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 I. I, the Lord, will do this. I, the Lord. The sheep aren't doing anything for themselves. The Lord is taking care of them. He's providing for them. He's setting things right. I will feed you in justice, it says. Not injustice, but in the manner of justice, I will feed you. <laughs> it can get confusing there. But I would encourage you to meditate on that with these themes in mind, that Jesus is the one who sits at the right hand of the Father because what did he do first? He descended to us. He took the form of a slave. He poured himself out on the cross. He did not despise the virgin's womb. He did not despise the cross, but for the joy sent before him, endured that shame. And the reason that it's good news that, it's, that Christ is king is because of the character of Christ. If you have a bad king, things go badly. And if you have a good king who reigns forever, that's great news. And we know who he is because of what he has done for us. And that we can come to him in humility and say, I cannot clothe myself, I cannot feed myself, but I trust you to, do, to clothe me and to feed me because of your very character of who you are and who you've shown yourself to be in dying for us and then being raised from the dead. So if you take one thing from this Christ the King Sunday, it is good news that Christ is King. It is good news that his character is the one that rules and reigns forever. And it is good news that he gives us a taste of the fullness of that goodness even now by inviting us to his table, promising to fill us if we will come to him as beggars, saying, I cannot feed myself. Feed me, Lord, with that bread, which is bread for the life of the world. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are truly king. And I thank you for that. I thank you that um, even when we don't see it, even when things are kind of falling apart around us, Lord, you show yourself to be good and humble and true. And Lord, I pray um, for us now just to take a moment and just think about our own lives and those places, Lord, where we try to clothe ourselves. Uh, those places in our lives, Lord, maybe where we're hiding from you in shame. 
And I pray, Lord, that we would trust you even now to clothe us. I pray now, Lord, that we would remember that you have clothed us in baptism, that we have put on Christ. And Lord, I pray that we could um, come to your table as beggars, not in shame, Lord, but just in a recognition that there are things that we cannot give ourselves, the things that we truly need we cannot give ourselves. So Lord, we ask you to feed us in, all, in the way that only you can. And we thank you, Lord, that you give us a taste of the wedding feast that is to come. And we pray this in the name of our King, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.